tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Reincarnated Submariner, Chicago Hit and Run, and Tornado Disappearance. I'm your co-host, Crystal. And I'm your other co-host, Robert, and this is Reenacted, an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. And if you're listening to us at this very moment, it's a very good thing because it means that uh, the world will not have ended in the two weeks after we recorded this episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And if you're listening to us from some sort of fallout shelter um mazel tov yeah for staying alive congratulations Um, we're the winners (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think uh you know part of watching unsolved mysteries is really reliving some you know current events of the 90s um certainly at the beginning of unsolved mysteries when did it start i want to say 91 or 92 Mm mm-hmm uh, it was very much in the um, immediate aftermath of uh, the end of the Soviet Union. And uh, kind of, I don't know, it just kind of feels like the Soviet Union didn't really go away. <laughs> just rebranded. Yes. So, <laughs> anyway, uh, obviously anyone who's been paying any sort of attention to social media or the news knows what we are referring to. Um, obviously, we don't want to turn this... Uh- into a geopolitics podcast when no nobody wants that that's not why they come here yeah they They don't want that but i i will i will take a moment to briefly just say um no matter what happens and no matter what you're feeling please don't vent your feelings against any like Russian bakeries or oh god Russian people it's completely asinine and i don't i feel like we're freedom frizing russian products and people i don't know if i don't know how the age ranges of the people who listen to this podcast but there was a lot of stupid bullshit that happened after 9-11 in the united states where we like the mm-hmm. french didn't want to immediately go in and attack afghanistan so we like tried to rename things like french toast and french fries to freedom it's just very stupid and listen, like if you're someone who you're an American or you're a Canadian or you're an English person um, and you travel abroad and you don't necessarily agree with all the foreign policy maneuvers of your government and you don't want to be attacked for that in another country, please just remind yourself of that when um, dealing with, uh, you know, people of uh, Russian ancestry or culture in your own country and that they do are not representative of the choices of their government no more than we are. So. Um, just, it's fucking dumb. Don't do that. So. What do you think the odds are that like most hate crimes, uh, like attempted anti-Russian hate crimes that will happen in this country mm-hmm. will actually end up happening against Ukrainian um, like Americans? 99%. Because yeah. when I think about, so I live in LA as you guys know, and there is a massive, mm-hmm. Eastern European population here. We have a lot of Armenians who I also suspect mm-hmm. will be attacked <laughs> as Russian. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. We have a lot of Armenians. We have a lot of Ukrainians uh, in California. And so I've had uh, the good fortune to have a, a lot of friends and colleagues over the years who were either Ukrainian or uh, erstwhile from for, former Soviet Union uh, countries such as Estonia and and all that jazz. And um, mostly they've been really wonderful people. And, um, you know, if you only found out uh, who the where the Ukraine where the Ukraine is on a map within the last two weeks, maybe um, slow your roll before <laughs> casting any uh, aspersions to someone you think might be Russian, because it's a complicated situation. And um, there are a lot of people who call themselves Russian that have never been to Russia. And there's a lot of people who call themselves Russian that grew up in another country but share a lot of the sole same language and cultural identifiers as Russians. Again, like people aren't their governments and especially when they're in the diaspora. So don't be a dick, please. 
to Ooh. our uh, let's not uh, yeah. let's not nine eleven this situation because I can't tell you how many times I had friends who were, you know, of Pakistani descent, Native American or Mexican who got. <laughs> horrific slurs hurled at them post 9-11 so just let's try and do better on this one basically if your your skin tone was darker than george hamilton uh, yeah you you were a target so let's let's not do that i feel like people in general are a little more aware these days having been through the the post 9-11 lunacy at least in this in this country, I can't speak for Canada or any other English speaking country, but you know, I, I hope people are a little bit more um, open minded these days. Yeah, of course, I have the suspicion that pretty much everyone listening to this podcast was probably already in agreement with this outlook, but so we gotta <laughs> we gotta keep putting that message out there. So <laughs> yeah, that sounds a little luxury. Yeah. That's that's not really how I wanted to start season six. Of Unsolved Mysteries with Robert Stack. Robbie. <laughs> episode one, yeah. So we're, this is episode 102 for us. Last mm-hmm. go round, we did a clip show. Um, and that ended up being a lot more work than I thought it was. Because after a hundred some odd episodes, I was not very organized with my files. And I had to do oh, a lot of, a lot of digging and organizing to um, pull that one together. Uh, but all that said, so season six, uh, there. Before we get into like the actual meat of the episode, I don't know if you noticed this, but oh, I, I, I know it. Okay. I, I know, I know where you're okay. going. New intro. Oh, yeah. shiny! Lots of a- lots of zooms in, zooms out. I feel like we have the, like the the action shots that they were showing were a lot of the same ones from the old intro from season five. However. There's like new fonts. There's new title cards. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you. Like, does it seem like this one was more like made with computers? Yeah, I think perhaps? computers were definitely involved. Yeah, yeah. Like they they suddenly had access to this. Like, oh, look what we can do. So, and what? Let's see what the air date was for this episode. The original air date was. Um, Okay, September twenty second, nineteen ninety three. There, there were there were more things made available that we could do. I like because like when did Jurassic Park come out? That was ninety three, ninety four. Yeah, it was ninety four. Yeah, so I mean we're 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 in we're in a a, a brave new world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, a brave new world of of opening sequences that are like more three dimensional. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when they have the, in the past, you know, when they, they'd have the scroll of the, um, different sort of segment categories. And this one, we got a, they come at us sort of at a diagonal 3d, <laughs> um, angle, which was, I, I found really fun. Uh, and when actually, when I was watching it, I did an, my imitation of uh, Lloyd Bridges in the movie Airplane, where he screams out, "They're coming right for us!" Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't think my cats got the reference, but yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, it was... Did you also notice that the theme song now has a beat on it? So before, there was like. Now there's like a sort of like garage band type beat under the bass line. Oh, so okay. So they kind of zhuzhed it up a little bit. I did notice it was different. I mean, I, I really couldn't articulate it in, in a particular manner. It's, it's kind of like when I took a... An English literature class for some requirement at UNR. That's the University of Nevada, Reno, for uh, people just yes. tuning in <laughs> at this late stage. But yeah, if long, long time listeners of the pod, yeah, will they know. Be intimately familiar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the professor was talking about meter, mm-hmm. you know, in poetry, mm-hmm. and he tried like, I have no rhythm. 
and the professor tried to ask me to he asked me to read something out in something whatever meter mm-hmm. and i'm sure it sounded exactly the same as if i just read it out loud at my normal pace mm-hmm. and the professor was like okay uh, did anyone else want to try <laughs> or so uh but yeah the the, the music is different uh the 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 visuals are different mm-hmm. it's 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 um i mean i was actually kind of surprised i don't distinctly remember remember seeing this opening sequence before i don't know did i did i stop watching unsolved mysteries at this point or i mean what were you doing in fall of 1993 uh fall of 1993 i was in the 5th grade mm-hmm. I was living in Dayton by this point. Uh-huh. I don't, re- I don't really remember watching much unsolved mysteries. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I got more into the show sightings at that oh, point. Oh, okay, yeah, because ninety three. Now we're now we're on X Files time. Unsolved mysteries and isn't the I'll, only game in town anymore. You know, when the X Files came out, I was really big into that. Um, this was it was it was it was on Friday nights at that point, right? Uh yeah. The X Files debuted yeah. Friday nights yeah. before they made the disastrous was... decision to move it to Sundays. Or maybe ratings went up. Sunday. I don't know. But I felt personally very betrayed <laughs> when it wasn't on Friday nights anymore. <laughs> yes, yes. I like for me, the thing was is Friday, you're you're home from school. Yeah. You don't have to be at school for another two yeah. days. So. I can stay up till 9 p.m. and watch a scary show. I can't do that on a Sunday night. Yeah. Sunday night, I'm like jamming to get my homework done. I'm doing my laundry. Um, you know, I'm get I'm like getting geared up to wake up at 5:30 a.m. to catch the bus to go to school. I don't have time for the X Files anymore. At that point. No. Should have stayed on Friday nights. No. They put the whammy on them. I I concur with your. With your analysis, um, I'm not sure. <laughs> Obviously, the the studios they got their own agenda. <laughs> and, they certainly do, don't they? Yeah. They really do. Yeah. Well, Robbie, speaking of an unsolved mystery slash possibly an X file, <laughs> do you want to talk about this uh, first segment of uh, season six, episode one of UM? I do. Listen, listen, listeners who are listening to this audio podcast, uh, past this past life regression, it's it's introduced as a um, what type of segment is this? The unexplained. The unexplained. God, thank you. Okay, so here's the deal. This was the first 22 minutes of the entire episode. And I get particularly perturbed when they do these lost love or these types of kind of wishy-washy stories that take this huge chunk of time and, and my personal beef with it, I don't know, maybe, maybe our listeners find this really interesting to me. It's, it's like, you're giving me something that doesn't have a lot of meat to it and it isn't falsifiable. So there can never be an update to this, you know, like there's no, update coming and you now you've just spent 22 minutes giving me something that i will be forever unsatisfied by right i mean certainly by the end of the segment i was like in no way anticipating an update you can't have an update on this no Uh, they're they're i mean they kind of fished for one at the end but it was very lame yeah it was like no you're not getting that no one's calling into the call center to be like yeah this guy was this person's cousin in a past life anyway Mm -hmm. Bruce Kelly is a former ball player, baseball player. Yes, mm-hmm. baseball player, and he he was a he's a hero, single dad. Uh, he grew up in Glendora, California. Um, he post baseball became a somewhat successful salesman. I need to talk about a minute for about Bruce Kelly's look. <laughs> so you're going to talk about his look. I hope that goes hand in hand with talking about the stride of his walk when we first see him as an adult. 
as as they as they just record him walking down a a, a city block and then turning a Robbie, corner. Robbie, Robbie, tell me tell me about his stride because I was too distracted by the extreme acid wash on his pants. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, we get like just a seemingly a long continuous shot of him walking down a a, a t- city block and he takes a turn into what I assume is the offices of the whatever he is therapist uh that that he sees Mm -hmm. and he just therapist yeah i'm putting that in scare quotes 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 and he just his all his his foot strides and the waving of his arms forward and back as he's walking they have this self-consciousness to them which Hmm. i think i don't think he normally walks this way but you know they're recording him sort of doing a doing a little reenactment of walking down the street and walking into his therapist office and he very much he just gives the vibe of someone who is like you know a non-actor trying to act like themselves (laughs) (laughs) i found it very amusing yeah i'm sure the direction was like bruce just just be yourself. Just walk towards the camera. Uh, and then, and then that was like really weird for him. Probably. Yeah. Um, I also want to talk about his, he has like his hair. You know, I almost expected when he turned around around the corner to go into that building during that long shot, there was going to be a massive mullet situation. It, it was only a mini mullet, and I will describe his hair as sort of a Patrick Bateman slickback. Ooh, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and then he's got these. Now this man is only what, like forty-one years old, somewhere in or that something range. Yeah. At this point, he's not an old man, but just how people were styled in the early '90s and late '80s made everyone look like they were seventy years old. So he's got these big, like you know, Boca Raton <laughs> spectacles and the acid wash jeans. And I'm just like, oh my God. He he looks like he's ready to retire down in Florida. I don't understand. Robbie, both you and I are children of the 80s. And then there were children that were born after we were born. And I do not understand how anyone was sexually attracted enough to each other during this time to procreate. <laughs> Because Bruce Kelly's a good-looking guy. He is. He's like a good-looking guy. And then he's just like the way he's costumed himself is to be as unappealing as possible. I don't understand. Um, why Why am I focused on this? It's because the rest of the segment is just sort of bullshit. And there's 22 minutes of it. <laughs> we're kind of... Uh, we're, so we're, Bruce... We're, we're, we're wearing our thoughts on this, this matter on our sleeves, I, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Br- so Bruce... You know, good man, good man. He goes to the therapist's office. Now, therapist is in square quotes. It's really a hypnotist. Yeah. And Robert Stack's intro uh, talks about this guy, Dr. Rick Brown, as ha- being a specialist in past life regression. And at this point, I started groaning. <laughs> because yeah. the reason that Bruce Kelly went to the hypnotist is to, he had some phobias that he wanted to overcome. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I really embrace the fact that Bruce saw this, wanted to do something about it. He realized that his fear of water heights and enclosed spaces was really putting, uh, was it heights or flying or both? I, I, um, I think heights and water. And, well, heights and enclosed spaces yeah. is pretty much the fear of flying, yeah. right? You're in an enclosed space and you're in the air. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I really admire that Bruce was like, hey, this is really limiting my life in some very annoying ways. And so I want to I want to get ahead of this. I want to go t- take care of this. How he arrives at the selection of hypnotist, hypnotist Dr. Rick Brown, who specializes in past life regression, which has nothing to do with... Uh, curing phobias or addressing those one so one I, note i mean rick brown who coincidentally he looks like a like what bigfoot would look like if he had male pattern baldness <laughs> um, I, now here's here's what i thought rick brown looked like a hundred percent a werewolf Ooh, okay yeah 
Yeah. Because he has like the Wolverine beard. Mm-hmm. But then he has these like really piercing clear blue eyes, like eerie, like wolf eyes. They, okay. They they probably serve well for hypnotizing his victims. I mean, uh, clients. Yeah. <laughs> um. Like, have Robbie, have you ever met met someone who has like unsettling, unset like uh, what's that guy's actor's name? Like, is it Neil McDonough? Yeah, the um the guy who was in Star Trek: First Contact as the helmsman, right? Yeah, yeah I, like unsettling blue eyes. That guy's eyes really pop, and like you just you can't like not look at them when he's on screen. Yeah, like like the Night King in Game of Thrones. Okay, that's Doctor Rick Brown. Yeah. But then he has like a more of a Wolverine facial, facial hair situation. Hair. So I'm convinced this guy's a freaking werewolf. Uh, you know, he kind of, he kind of you know, you, you could probably. Or Bigfoot. Yeah. He's a shaved Bigfoot. Or, I don't or know. A wolf, or a Wolfman Jack uh, sort of. But and now he he points out that only 1% of his clientele experience past life regression. Sure. <laughs> Which even if that were true would be just a horrifyingly large number <laughs> from my perspective. <laughs> yeah. That's too many. And the other, the other thing is we've had a lot of these sort of hypnotherapists cases before. Mm-hmm. This isn't even the first past life regression segment we've had. And the, the thing is this like hypnosis. I, my understanding is can be very useful for addressing phobias and trauma. Yeah. Because it puts you in a highly suggestive state, right? So we all remember the movie Office Space, right? Where he goes to the hypnotist, mm-hmm. he never comes out of the hypnosis. And all of a sudden he's very chill and relaxed about his whole job situation, right? So it, it, it can be used to put you in a suggestive state. Um, you cannot say it puts someone in a suggestive state, but also a regressive state. It is one or the other. So either someone is <laughs> in this place and they are vulnerable to suggestion. So saying, you know, trying to hypnotize someone to get over their fear of water. Um, but it is not a place where you are suddenly unlocking the mysteries of the mind and remembering a past life. Or, you know, often sometimes will people will. There was an episode like not that long ago where someone was like went to a hypnotist and they started like was the last episode of season five where they went to a hypnotist and they were remembering like all this crazy shit that their dad did to them. Oh yeah. (laughs) And I'm not saying that didn't happen, but what I'm saying is if you're in a highly suggestive state and you're relaxed, I think your imagination can run a little wild, Mm -hmm. you know? And if you have someone who is pressing you in that suggestive state being like, tell me more, go with it. Tell me more. Uh, you know, that's a suggestion to sort of fulfill the audience of the hypnotherapist with some kind of answers or story or something, right? Yeah, so precisely. Just the whole the whole thing is is bad science. I don't like it. Um, some, you know, I think there was a lot of this stuff going on in the late eighties, early nineties. Personally, I blame Nancy Reagan where there was all this like astrological juju stuff that was really embraced. Um, by mainstream media as some kind of legitimate scientific technique. But honestly, without all of that, we wouldn't have the X-Files. So, Have you ever found a mental implant in your body? Yes, and coincidentally... <laughs> <laughs> I like the logic there, but coincidentally, I do seem to recall... there. Were... That I blame Nancy Reagan? <laughs> we'll, we'll just put... <laughs> For making it mainstream? We'll just... We'll just... Uh, ju- no, just your... your lane attributing uh this environment to leading to the x-files um yeah and then coincidentally i believe there was i sort of have this distinct memory from that first season of the x-files there was some episode where hypnosis came up and you know scully being scully was like well it it does uh, from what i'm aware of it does actually serve some therapeutic purposes but it's completely garbage for (laughs) for 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 retrieving memories or anything right yeah yeah because because you are in a suggestive state Mm -hmm. because you're in a relaxed state you know it can be a very imaginative state you know like doing mushrooms yeah what? Right? So you eat some mushrooms, you're relaxed, you're like imagining possible past lives, future lives, 
the lives of palm trees, the lives of the mouse in the walls. You know, you're like really thinking about some stuff you normally wouldn't. And um, that doesn't mean it's happening, you know? And if I recall correctly, Dr. Brown um, actually <laughs> actually said something along the lines of um, later later in the segment, like, you know, Bruce, Bruce was, you know, saying all this stuff. So I just kept saying, mm-hmm. keep going, keep going. Right. Keep going. And so what's somebody in a suggestive state going to do? Keep going. Right. And um, so this is this is what it comes down to. So Bruce Kelly had some sort of memories of being uh, d- drowning in a submarine. Hence, I guess, the fear of his phobia of water. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was during World War II. So Bruce Bruce's regression um, tells him that his name was James Edward Johnston. And he was in the American Navy in World War II. And that he had drowned uh, during an attack on a submarine um, in the... Where was it? Like near Borneo or something like that oh, in Indonesia? Yeah. And he goes so far to say, and it's in the reenactment, that he was lying on his bunk and then the alarm went off and then he was drowning and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, they do a neat uh, little uh, reenactment of being on the sub. It's a real Crimson Tide sort of (laughs) situation. Uh, I liked that part. Yeah. I thought that was cool. Um, And he goes and, and Bruce Kelly goes specific enough to say that he died with another man who was trapped with him. At exactly 11.34 p.m. on February 11th, 1942. So um, these are the facts, okay? Yeah. Uh, You know, here's the thing. I don't recall. So he has a name. He has a time. He has the submarine that he was on. He has the location. Um, So the next day, Bruce Kelly goes to the library and he, he to research this Johnston person in the USS Shark, which was the name of the submarine. And uh, he learns the fact that the submarine had sunk uh, with 52 Americans on it. Wait, no, sorry. There were 52 American submarines that had been lost during the war. um, And that 20 of them were just completely unaccounted for. Uh, And that the first submarine that was lost during World War II was, in fact, the USS Shark. Now, uh, here's the thing. Is it possible that somewhere, somehow, years ago, Bruce Kelly maybe come across this fact in a book, fictional or otherwise, a newspaper, television program on World War II. I mean, PBS existed back then. Why not? And just sort of kind of like sunk this fact somewhere and then had it come up again, not realizing that he had sort of sucked it up as this piece of information somewhere along the road. You know? Yes. Now, now you you have a a more innocent interpretation. Like I I actually went, went a little sinister in wondering whether mm. like he had actually pre-researched this stuff, and when he went to the uh, the hypnotist, uh, already had his his you know sort of story uh, concocted, and I was to like I spent a, a, quite a bit of this segment wondering whether like. Both men were liars, hmm. or if one or the other was a liar, or they were lying to each other, or they were lying in conjunction. I mean, I'm, hmm. yeah, I, I'm not saying that that's necessarily the case because it's probably more likely that Bruce is just a victim of, I mean, a, a patient of, <laughs> of Doctor Brown, Doctor Brown, but, <laughs> uh huh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, you know, I. I don't know. I, I'm inclined to believe that this is coming from a very innocent place, at least from Bruce's point of view. Okay. I don't know about Dr. Brown's angle, but all I do know that Bruce goes to see Dr. Brown once a week for six months, and I guess an hour at a time, Dr. Brown makes his life a little bit worse. <laughs> so, um... Yeah, and, you know, you're, you're, you're usually so much more suspicious and cynical of these people than I am that... I'm willing to buy then that that Bruce is innocent. Yeah, I mean it could it could be like what what we would call a hot reading, right? Which is when you go and you research something before like pretending to be a psychic or something like yeah. this. You know, I mean, and I guess the end game is what 
attention getting on unsolved mysteries no maybe it was really weird because this segment quickly goes to a thing where well first they they swing by the house that um that uh his past life had you know spent i guess allegedly Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's just i mean it's just sort of you know they sort of walk around in the backyard and Bruce was like, yeah, that's the back door. That's the door I would, would go into. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, okay. And that that's the back bedroom. And I was like, okay, I, th- these are all things that I could have just, through conjecture, have <laughs> <laughs> pointed out as well. Yeah. But fine, fine. And then they have this weird thing where they go and they meet the rel- relatives and acquaint- acquaintances of, of, of Johnston. Um yeah, there was a, a cousin mm-hmm. of Johnston who was like saying something about, well, he always did come through the back door. I don't know how anyone would know that. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's really a 50 50 shot. If you've only got two enter entrances to your home, yeah, that's, you know, I mean, those are pretty good you odds. You gotta use for, one of them for making a guess. Yeah. I guess more impressive is that, that eating the, the heels off both ends of the bread uh, thing. Well, Robbie, I don't know. Maybe we need to do a little Twitter poll. If people uh, like the heels of the bread, or they only want the middle slices, because I feel like there's a lot of folks who would be very happy with the heel of the bread, myself included. Well, uh, yeah. So it, it's and well, there's a lot of different interpretations that can be uh, done here because they they talk about James Johnson as a kid, and they have a little reenactment of him going to the bread cupboard thing. You know, mm-hmm. opening up and taking off the the ends, but I, they 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 describe it as he had this compulsion to do it, and I wonder mm-hmm. like if the suggestion is not so much that he he preferred the 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 end pieces so much as he had mm-hmm. to get them eaten. Cause that's kind of how I am with sandwiches. Cause I, I like the, mm-hmm. I like the, the, the middle pieces, but, mm-hmm. and I don't really like the heels, but because of mm-hmm. that, I, I eat the heels first. Mm-hmm. Uh, that way I don't have to eat them later, <laughs> mm-hmm. which uh, I guess sounds deranged when I think about it. Cause I do have the option to just not eat them at all. <laughs> But that would be yeah. I I guess so. Well, I also feel like during the depression, which is when this would have been happening, like you're not wasting bread. No, no, no. And uh, also, here's how I think about the heels of the bread. I think about them as sort of the freshening barrier to the middle of the bread. So I hmm. will usually eat them last, um, unless it's like a nice baguette or something like that. Then I'm totally in. Like, let me just eat, eat the heel real quick. Yeah. But if it's just like a regular sliced loaf of white or wheat bread or whatever, I feel like the heels in the bag, you know, they kind of, you know, you start working from the middle out because the heels kind of keep that bread in the middle of the slice a little fresher. So it's not as exposed to the air if it's pressed up against the heel. The heel is like the cap. Oh, that's interesting. You know, um, I don't know if that's correct. That's just what I've decided <laughs> in my life I, <laughs> about bread. What is this, the breadcast? <laughs> no, that's another podcast. Uh, so, Robbie, a lot of other bullshit happens in this segment that isn't particularly interesting, but they mention that part of the past life regression of Johnson or of this guy Johnston is that he had this girlfriend Molly Lassiter mm-hmm. that he had met in California in 1938, and Bruce, I guess the the call to action, if you could call it that, at the end of the segment is that Bruce is trying to find Molly Lassiter who lived near the California Oregon border. I guess in like Weed, California. Yes, maybe it's probably somewhere in that vicinity. Uh, in 1938. So she would have been 70 at the time that the uh, episode. Anyway, so needless to say, there's no update here. <laughs> right. Because uh, that's all assuming that this person actually existed. Um, 
Yeah, well, we know Johnston existed. No, well, Johnston, yeah, records but of him. yeah, whether yeah, you know, any of the- Molly Lasseter, who can say? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Should we uh, go to Oklahoma, nineteen forty-seven? Before we before we go to Oklahoma in nineteen forty-seven, we we're going to make a brief uh-huh. drop off in Chicago in nineteen ninety. Uh, oh fuck! Yeah, we are. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> like I said, time travel. You know, like we both said, time travel is so complicated. It's complicated. I turned the dial the wrong way. Suddenly, we were headed to Oklahoma in 1947, but really, we needed to be in Chicago in 1990. And it's a wanted segment. It starts out with a wonderful little cityscape pan shot of uh, Chicago. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. I... Like, it, Robbie, have you been to Chicago? No. Oh, man. it It is, on a clear day, just the best. It is so pretty. You got the blue of Lake Michigan and all the shiny skyscrapers and just green. It's lovely. Lovely city. Yeah. I mean, I've never been, but I was looking at like a map of it once and it kind of seems like it's really interesting. Like you got like that cord, you know, thing with all the skyscrapers and then just a few blocks away, Mm -hmm. the houses just start. Mm -hmm. It's a very, very interesting layout for a city. Yeah. It's very neighborhoody. Yeah. Great, great town, Chicago. Yeah, I. This is a, sh- a shameless pandering to any of our friends in Illinois. So. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we love you, and I don't know. I don't know if I ever mentioned this to you because we had a mm-hmm. in one of our several discussions about pizza that we've had over the years. Uh-huh. You mentioned yeah. having a <laughs> many discussions. Yes. Yeah, you had a mm-hmm. mentioned a preference for um, Chicago style. And the real Chicago style, as you put it, which, mm-hmm. which is the, uh, yes. that's the tavern cut, right? Well, uh, li- listen, Chicago Chicago is nailing pizza at all levels. Oh, God. They have it completely worked out. You know, of course, there's the deep dish. I'm, you know, I'm going to say something a little controversial. I don't really care for that. I've had it. Mm-hmm. Not great. The tavern cut, the pan pizza, the crispy pan pizza, which is different in construction mm-hmm. from a deep dish. Um, so a deep dish pizza has uh, has it's basically a casserole, <laughs> yes. But it has all of the fillings and stuff kind of on the inside, and then there's like another layer of dough and then sauce on the top. So you kind you have kind of a it's like a pie casserole situation. The the tavern style the the pan the pan pizza. Is like buttery, soft, crispy, fluffy crust, and then of course all the toppings are on the top. But Chicago also has fabulous, um, you know, a Sicilian style thin crust pizza. Like they're hit, they're hitting it at every angle, and it's all incredible. Except for the deep dish, I don't really like that. Right. Right. Yeah. So I mean, specifically years ago, I went to Pequod's before like everyone knew what Pequod's is. <laughs> I was like way in on that before anyone else. Yeah, it was fabulous. It was like some of the best pizza I've ever had. Wow. Yeah. This this episode of the pod has been really heavy on baking. Yeah, a lot of bread. <laughs> a lot of bread. Very carb. Yeah. Carb very very carb episode. heavy episode. You may want to go out for a walk after listening to this one. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna feel I'm gonna be kind of bloated after this. Yes. Episode. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, going out for a walk. Yeah, the segment's not about pizza. Yeah, and I was gonna say going out for a walk is actually sort of central to what happens in our next segment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's we start out following a, a young man, uh, you know, eleven year old named uh, Pedro Santiago Jr. He's a mm-hmm. fifth grader. They show him, and he has they have this real reenactment of him talking to his mom on the phone after he gets home, and. Yeah, there's a table, or or rather, maybe a counter, where there's both a bowl of oranges and a jar of cookies, and no, no surprise as to which one uh, the fifth grader is eating out mm-hmm. of while he's talking with his mom. Yeah, uh, 
and he asks yeah. her, her like, "Hey, uh, can I go over to so and so's place and show them my ball blaster?" Which I guess it was a generic way to for mm-hmm. unsolved mysteries to avoid using the the copyrighted product name for Nerf's Master Blaster, which makes a oh okay, which makes a well, prominent uh, <laughs> appearance in this uh in this episode a bit of an anachronism though because if i understand correctly nerf did not release mm-hmm. this product in 1990 um Mm-mm. once again they were Mm-mm. using what was at the time a contemporary prop i guess you know they're just like we need something for this kid to you know be holding when he's walking outside so they they had one of these mm-hmm. available and thrust into his hands but yeah unfortunately uh so we get a reenactment of him coming out of his his home and he's getting ready to cross the street and we get introduced to two teenagers who are coming back from the market um and end up being witnesses to the situation very interesting choice for what they had these like one of these teenagers okay he's carrying a large paper bag so presumably that's what they bought at the market Mm -hmm. and i'm assuming Mm -hmm. that means they're suggesting he actually did some actual grocery shopping there instead of the just the two of them getting some because this is a full size bag Mm -hmm. it looks huge in his yeah was there like a baguette and carrot top sticking out of it like he was in (laughs) That's how we know it's right. a grocery trip. And then his friend is holding what looks like a the, the yearbook for their school. <laughs> uh, oh. if, you, if, if, if you're a sharp-eyed viewer, you'll see that. So I'm not sure. I've never ha- had an occasion where I went out to hang out, go somewhere with some friends, and I felt the need to bring my school's yearbook. But, I mean, I, I don't know. I guess the, maybe the inference is maybe they were talking about some cute girl they they had a crush on and so they they were looking at 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 pictures of her in the yearbook and then when they had to go get the grocery shopping done for whichever's Mm -hmm. mom they just brought the yearbook with them but um it's not all it's not all amusing because unfortunately they witness Pedro trying to cross the street and getting hit by a car and unsolved mysteries they actually cut mm. the black and we don't uh rather tastefully so and we we end up seeing the aftermath mm-hmm. and that kid is wedged underneath mm. that car yeah i mean there was really a kid wedged under a car <laughs> right film this um and the driver he gets out is very visibly just annoyed that he hit a kid he's like ah oh, this uh, Robbie can we can we talk about for a second like this is my this is my actual waking nightmare every okay. day of my life is like accidentally nailing <laughs> notice I said accidentally yeah not purposefully uh accidentally nailing a pedestrian this is my nightmare right because because ob- like, obviously horrifying. if you if you horrifying. wanted to intentionally nail a pedestrian it would not be yeah yeah, well, I mean, I mean, who hasn't yeah, fantasized yeah. about that? But yeah, accidentally doing it, especially kid, is just my freaking. Yeah, I, mean, I, I get, I get it because that would be like, I mean, hitting a pedestrian that would be like, just a whole thing, you know, you'd have to deal with, mm-hmm. and uh yeah, no, no one wants. Yeah, it'd be well, it's to be a whole thing, and then you'd have to live <laughs> oh, with yourself. Yes, I. <laughs> So I see. That, yeah, you know, oh yes, knowing that you like killed a possibly killed I, I a kid. I see. Yes, yes. I, I understand what you, you just don't mean because of whatever inconvenience or or, or uh, that would happen in your life. But yes, the guilt would also be bad. Yeah, there's that. There's the moral implication. <laughs> That's the part that bothers me. <laughs> um. Yeah. The damage to my car, right. not so much. <laughs> and the the teenagers are very, again very responsible because not only did they go out grocery shopping, yeah. but they immediately run to the kid. Yeah, one of them's like telling the other, "Hey, like watch the guy who you know just did this while I go yeah. call the authorities." Um, and yeah. naturally, this guy gets back in his car, backs up, and drives away. Um, yeah. 
I feel like in a different kind of neighborhood, though, that guy would have been dragged out of his car. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, what I'm saying? Little street, <laughs> street justice. Just, yeah, I mean, I gotta say, uh, as I saw him driving driving away, I, 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 a little street justice would, would, would not necessarily have been a, a, a bad thing, especially considering how this segment ends. Unfortunately, Pedro was taken to the hospital. His parents got to see him for a few seconds before he went into surgery, and uh, unfortunately, he did not make it. Yeah, yeah, uh, super sad. the The remainder of the sec- segment is kind of interesting. The father takes it upon mm-hmm. himself to search out for for the the killer, the the driver. Right. So I, I guess the cops had enough information about the car to realize uh, who yeah, owned I, it. So they put out an APB for someone Chachimba. named Kachipa. <laughs> <laughs> the way that Stack said this during the segment, like, really made me feel like, oh, I know, right? <laughs> I was like, oh, boy. That yeah. sounds made up. He, he, said, he said it with uh, quite a bit of flair. Um, yeah, I can't remember mm-hmm. what the, the guy's actual name was. Who cares? Uh, he's a piece of piece of, oh uh it's a piece of pos but yeah Ch- chachimba mm-hmm. uh it, it really that's what i thought of the segment as too just oh that's how the unsolved mysteries wiki really it is kachimba nice yeah. that's what it's nice. indexed as yeah yeah, so, yeah. Good job. so the father like he's trying to track down chachimba uh, yeah, and, you know they talk about how he just basically went to like every bar, every every just place in town. He could he could thought he could, and just he's just mm-hmm. asking people if they know Chen Chenchimba, and then we get this Chenchimba yeah. Kachimba, and then there's you're throwing an extra H in there, Kachimba Chimba, no sh- not sh- ka. ka Kachimba Kachimba Kachimba. There you go. Kachimba. Sorry. I guess I was thinking about... If you keep saying it, you're going to summon him. <laughs> well, if, you, if they find my my corpse run over in the middle of the road, you'll know who did it. Kachimba. Yes. Um, and they have a, re, a reenactment that... I'm curious what your thoughts are, because this allegedly... T- uh-huh. takes place in a restaurant where you know the father's talking with a yeah. guy um who you know yeah. so it's like oh yeah you know uh, he i gave him a hundred dollars because he was trying to leave town or something and i think he might have been in trouble with the law mm-hmm. i want your opinion was this an actual mexican restaurant uh-huh. or some like generic set place that they just i th- i think well i think it's probably just wherever they yeah. could film i have no idea because it was kind of a tight shot. We didn't get too much of the background yeah, I, of the restaurant. I, I, I felt like it wasn't a genuine restaurant that they were shooting in. Yeah. Probably not. Yeah. I mean, it just, it looked more like, you know, when you have like some, some office space with like, you know, chairs and some tables and there's a counter or something and they just like, oh, well, let's just put little thing with the Mexican flag on, <laughs> on in the background. And, uh, we'll throw mm-hmm. a, we'll throw a, um, not an apron, a tablecloth, a, a, a yep. plastic blue <laughs> tablecloth over the t- table that mm-hmm. the, the two guys are having the conversation at, uh, at, I don't even think they had food in front of them, just some drinks, right? Yeah. Well, you know, Pedro Senior's not there to eat. He's there for facts. And I totally, that was something that went through my mind, and I could totally be fine with, if you know, he didn't have a meal in front of him, but I, I would expect the other guy would. But anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, Chachimba. Kachimba. Good enough. Kachimba, um, is unfortunately the, uh, if I'll just cut right to the chase at the end of the segment, we get no update. Son of a bitch uh-uh. got away. He did. Yeah. Kachimba was, uh, not located. 
Um, you know, I think part of this is probably, um, there's a weird balance between, I'm sure there are a lot of people in the community who wanted justice for, um, Pedro Jr. But I also feel like there is within some circles a very strong, no snitching policy. Oh yeah. Okay. You know what I mean? So I feel, you know, I feel like Pedro Sr. probably had the best chance of locating Kachimba over the police. Um, but you know, he's got limited means. That's why he came to Unsolved Mysteries, obviously, you know, to try and track this guy down. But we also don't have a picture or anything. Yeah, no. Of Kachimba. We don't know what he looks like. So there isn't even a sketch. <laughs> right. It's a, it's know. a, it's a very, very thin odds, uh, call to action. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, now that we've, uh, made our, depressing stopover in Chicago we can travel back um so beep boop beep boop beep boop all right let's dial the time machine let's get in uh all right and uh let's actually go to Oklahoma 1947 this time uh Robbie one of my other great fears is uh besides hitting uh, unintentionally hitting a pedestrian with my car okay killing them or even just maiming them. That would be awful. Uh, my other fear is I am scared as fuck of tornadoes. <laughs> not un- not an unreasonable fear. Uh, I, I, I don't fuck with them. And uh, I've had enough sort of close encounters. But one of reoccurring nightmare that I have is I'm in a situation where a tornado is coming. Like I could see the funnel cloud. Or I'm in the immediate devastation of a tornado that has just passed oh, wow. through. I have the stream enough that it's very unsettling. Gee, that's interesting. Um, uh, yeah. And you know, the other, well, I mean, I have had some direct, direct experiences with storms of this type in in Oklahoma and Texas and Tennessee and other, other areas while traveling. But, um, you know, I live in a very earthquake prone, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, earth- earthquakes are just happening, like, all the time. It's sometimes we don't even, like, get up when there's an earthquake happening. Because it's just like, okay, yeah. whatever. And I think it's very strange that I have all these sort of, like, nightmares about the devastation from a tornado when that is not a threat to my existence whatsoever where I live. And um, I I never have nightmares about earthquakes. Ever. Well, it, it's, it's the... Um... The familiarity makes it less frightening, right? Yeah, I guess. I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of people in the Midwest who like don't think tornadoes are a big deal. I mean, the thing is, though, tornadoes are way more um, destructive than most earthquakes. You know, so in California, we've kind of constructed our way out of, um, you know, the devastation known from like you know the Northridge earthquake or a lot of those big earthquakes from the 1980s. We have different building codes now. Um, we've sort of mitigated and retrofitted our our risk of a building falling on us for example or a road collapsing like we we kind of took care of it but tornadoes i don't know how you get around that (laughs) like they're terrifying right well yeah and so yeah so 1947 woodward oklahoma uh and i guess there was like a telephone operator strike going on there were two big things going on in this town at the at this moment yeah. The uh, latest Ingman Ber- Bergman film was playing at the th- at the cinema. Double, it was uh-huh. a double bill. Rage, her film Rage uh-huh. in Heaven, which was actually yeah. uh, it was made in 1941. Mm-hmm. So I guess when they when Robert Stack s- says like it finally made it to town. <laughs> yeah, that took six that, years. That's I guess. a six year wait. So I. that's not even a that's not even a third run theater that's like an 11th run theater right in woodward but but what's interesting is the other part of the film of the double bill devils on wheels is a 47 uh film but um i guess it was more of a a cheapo movie so maybe that explains why it made it to their theater so much quicker than uh for and it's run time uh release than rage rage in heaven um I really, I really enjoy the the little period piece, you know, we got mm. here where you got the old timey cars pulling up and in front mm-hmm. of the old theater with the, the 
the uh, theater attendant in uniform standing outside. Really, really fun. Mm. Really fun. The, these 10 seconds are just the highlight of the, the film for me. But yes, the other thing going on in town at that point is that telephone operator strike. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I feel we've probably obviously automated our way out of uh, that ever being a thing ever mm-hmm. again. Um, and Stack ominously mentions that perhaps if that strike hadn't been going on, someone might might have gotten a call uh, warning mm-hmm. them that what was on the way. First, they give a little background on the... Uh, what's the family's name? The Crofts? Yeah, the Crofts. Yeah. The Croft family. Uh, the Croft mm-hmm. family. You know, the father, he makes money off of a sheep ranching or whatever. Yeah. Uh-huh. And there's there's a uh, um, some some attention put on uh, little Joan Gray Joan Gay Croft, she's just you know blonde little girl, and it kind of uh, sets her up as uh, going to be the focus of this Lost Love segment. We get a reenactment of um, what was it? Her her aunt and. I was very vague on the family relation <laughs> dynamics in the amongst these characters. Um, who who was Ruth to 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 Joan and her sister? Uh, she was the aunt. Yeah, the yeah. They're out on the front porch. Uh, you know, just sitting back talking. They they have a. They notice the sky is getting really dark, and she mentions the. You know, they don't hear any birds or animals or anything. It's just eerily mm-hmm. quiet, and we get a lot of. Robbie, have you ever have you ever seen what that looks like? That kind of sky. Yeah, well, I um, a couple of times I visited my father out in uh, the Midwest when I was growing up. Um. Yeah, it, it has this like weird stillness to it. Yeah, well, it gets really dark, but it also like the sky kind of turns orange almost. It's very uh, uneasy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, so we get a lot of uh, stock footage of tornado, <laughs> tornado, of destructive tornado, uh, black and white footage, mm-hmm. and it cuts to a little reenactment. Um, this is supposed to be the hospital of the town, but I think it just maybe is just some uh, the front of some double story um, generic building. They got a lot of people mm-hmm. laying around their roofs talking about how people were missing the tops of their skulls. And yeah, Ruth, the way Ruth casually describes the carnage that she saw was really unsettling. <laughs> She was very casual about it, which I mean, grant mm-hmm. granted, we're we're now several decades past, so. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, Ruth saw brain matter that brain matter, okay. yeah, and missing limbs and stuff, and just like yeah. piles of just corpses everywhere. Um, yeah, yeah, and she was uh, so we have a little reenactment where she finds uh, she overhears that like. Okay, the, the the father is uh, is alive. Uh, J- Joan and their sister's father is alive, but the mother is dead. Yes, mm-hmm. and so then Ruth goes down the basement and locates the the two girls, and Joan has like a, I guess a pretty substantial piece of wood that's like gone right through her her leg. Mm-hmm. And um, the sister, uh, what was the sister's name? Uh, Jerry. Jerry. Okay, Jerry. I guess was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so Ruth talks about how she's like, "Oh yeah, you know, I, I it's it's all your father. He's okay." And they're like, "What about our mom?" And she's like, "Um, I'll go look for her." <laughs> Mm-hmm. Which I, I get it. I get it. I, I, I probably would, would have been reluctant to be the one. Uh, no one wants to drop that sort of news. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's um, the reenactment. Ruth comes back down 
and mm-hmm. Joan is gone. Only Jerry is there. Yeah. Yeah. So Ruth Ruth had gone to the like Erstwhile hospital. And then because the doctors and nurses were so overwhelmed, she started doing some triage as well. Right. So she's there for some period, like all night, yeah. basically. Yeah. And so she comes back and then Joan's gone. Yeah. And Jerry's like, some men came by and took her. And when Joan was, uh, yeah. when Ruth was inquiring around, they're like, yeah. So I guess some people explicitly asked for the Croft children and then carried mm-hmm. Joan away. Mm-hmm. Um, we get a little reenactment, like, because that, like, eventually they sort through all the dead bodies, and so there's like, mm-hmm. there's a little dead girl, and they're like, mm-hmm. the the authorities are like, okay, well, uh, we we have a missing girl, and we have a deceased girl here, so this must be Joan, and so Ruth comes by to, you know, bring some clothes for the. Uh, for Joan, but the the funeral home guy is like, no, those are too big. Uh, and she's like, what? Yeah, no, the, 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 those aren't for the kid. And so, turns out Joan's still alive. But now they're faced with this mystery of, where is she? <laughs> like, what happened? Two guys just showed up? Yeah, and who are these guys? Yeah. Who are th- yeah, who are these guys who... Knew the the Croft kids and were explicitly looking for them, and took Joan away. Now, naturally, this being the show that it is, and after mm-hmm. the the past five seasons that we've watched, my first instinct was to think, "Oh well, these are you know some people in the kid selling business who have decided, yeah. you know." I've seen an opportunity to grab up some some free kits to to take to yeah. whoever the Oklahoma version of Georgia Tan might be. Yeah, you know it's funny that the wiki mentions that. What? That that might be might be part of like a child stealing ring. Oh, so they like are looting children from a disaster. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, because we're 1947. That's we're still in that that prime. <laughs> time of just when when you when you could just roll up grab kids take them away and sell them off mm-hmm. um the only the only thing that had is they took the the kid with the the massive leg wound um it seems to me that like you you'd want to grab mm-hmm. the merchandise that isn't that isn't damaged yeah damaged right? <laughs> They left the yeah, unwounded well, kid behind. I don't know. Maybe yeah. maybe it's because Joan was younger, so like, you know, it'd be easier to like make her like, oh, just forget. You know, those memories, the, 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 those, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. just forget those. You're 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 mis- you're you're just mm-hmm. making that up. You didn't have a, you didn't have a family. Where are your family now? Uh, yeah, but mm-hmm. yeah. And, got, uh, of course, naturally, there is no update. Nope. The, the only update <laughs> we got in this uh, segment was they um, they did a, uh, uh, they wedged in the um, the update for the, the cult, cult leader. There was a cult the, leader uh, the, slash pedo from yeah, last the, season. The defraud, yeah. whatever his name was. Yeah. Yeah, don't worry. It's like, it. yeah, okay. I, I, I kind of almost felt like they, they rammed that one in there. Like, okay, well, you didn't get any satisfactory updates uh-huh. on any of these segments, so we're just gonna remind you that we, that we got that like one horrible, <laughs> horrible human being arrested and that he died in prison. Uh, I don't know how to segue from that into our social media stuff, but we could okay. try it. If you're in prison and you enjoyed this podcast, <laughs> um, uh, please uh, give us five stars on iTunes. If you didn't enjoy the podcast, <clears throat> simply stop listening and keep that opinion in your pocket. And, yeah. you know, that's fine. You don't have to like it. It's okay. Sorry. If people want to get a hold of us, how should they do that? Uh, at Reenacted Pod on Twitter, reenactedpod at gmail.com. 
uh, reenacted fans, podcast, podcast fans, however it's written on Facebook <laughs> and uh, go to Patreon, sign up and give us $1 a month. Yeah, you can. If you like the pod, you can tip us one one dollar a month. At the five dollar a month level, uh, you can get access to like exclusive content, which we drop sometimes. And the other times, Robbie will just send you a little prezi. Yeah. Um. So that's patreoncom slash pod. Robbie, do you want to wrap up season six, episode one of Unsolved Wis- Mysteries, in only the way that you can? Did you just call it Unsolved Wisteries? I slurred a little bit. I'm perfectly sober and I slurred and I was just hoping we could move past it. Oh, sorry. I apologize. Join me next time for another fascinating edition of Unsolved Mysteries. Okay.